Welcome to the Under 8 Podcast, a daily college basketball show brought to you in every weekday in under eight minutes at the time of recording. It is Tuesday, December 5th, 11.25 p.m. My name is Josh Mullinex. On today's pod, Madison Square Garden takes center stage as UConn beats UNC in the Jimmy V Classic. Number 23, Wisconsin gets a win in East Lansing. It's all right here, right now on the Under 8 Podcast. Josh Doring is here with me. UConn 87, North Carolina 76 in the late game at the Jimmy V Classic. Josh, Carolina gave UConn a run at a couple different points in the second half, but ultimately we walk away with uh, what we probably already knew, and that's that UConn is the better of the two basketball teams. This was in many ways the opposite of what happened on Friday. That was one of the worst offensive executions I have ever seen. They scored a bunch of points because they made some incredible shots. This mm. game, they assisted on 25 of their 34 made fuel goals. Sure. Cam Spencer was great. All five starters. I mean, Donovan Klingon might have been the least impactful starter from a stats point they had. Solomon Ball was really good. Tristan Newton did his thing. It It was just night and day in terms of what it actually looked like on the floor. They were really, really good offensively. They were able to keep UNC out of transition outside of the one stretch where UNC kind of got back into the game. And then UConn said, no, thanks. We're not interested in making this competitive. Went on another run. And yeah, there it wasn't a horrible performance by UNC, but there was clearly one team that was better than the other one. Is Cam Spencer the best, the, the most like plug and play transfer this year? Like that is there that that player that type of player just makes so much sense on this UConn team and of course you know his he didn't have a great game in their in their most recent game but 23 points seven rebounds six assists zero turnovers eight of 14 from the field he just kind of fits right in and maybe that's just a testament to the type of player he is but he just makes so much so much sense on this on this UConn roster yeah if if Dalton connect didn't exist i would say mm. yes Fair. In most Fair. years, the answer to that question is yes. And the the other couple things for me on the UNC side, you got four points off the bench. Mm. That is simply not good enough when three of your starters don't have particularly good games. RJ Davis was good. Harrison Ingram got going. But you got very little from Cormac Ryan. Armando Baycott had a good start and then didn't make much of an impact. Elliot Cadeau was up and down and not doing much from a stat sheet standpoint, particularly scoring. Mm-hmm. They just didn't. I mean, the one stretch was when Harrison Ingram really got going. And RJ Davis knocked down a few of the shots that yeah. he, I mean, he was, he was excellent 26 yeah. on 17 shots, but th- uh, those he, two things were kind of in tandem in that, right. that run that they made in, in the second half. Right. He scored five points in about 10 seconds, hit a three, got a steal, got a layup right after that. Yeah. But outside of those two, you just didn't get enough to hang with UConn playing well. And then the UConn side, the other thing I'll throw out there that I'm curious for your thoughts on, we, we we've been talking about this Donovan Klingon versus the best bigs in the country thing. And 
it's not like it went particularly well. He had some foul trouble. I know he's still battling some niggling injuries. It just didn't matter because the other guys mm-hmm. were so good. And that to me is the scary part about this. He is not as important to this team, anywhere near as important as the other big guys that we put him in the same class as. It doesn't need to revolve around him. He's just another weapon in addition to all of the other ones they have. I think I can't decide if I am happy about that or not. Like I, sure. I like I guess I am, but part of what made UConn last year so dangerous was how unbelievably like proven commodity Adama Sonogo was. That it didn't matter. And then on the nights where everything else was clicking, they were impossible to beat. And when they do it in a three week stretch, they absolutely mow through the NCAA tournament. Um, I think, I think you're right. It clearly isn't that important because if it was, they, you know, he wasn't great against Kansas. Kansas is a better team than UNC. So I guess to a certain extent it does matter, but in a game like this, yeah, they're, they're way stacked enough for him to not need, to be like really excellent dominant for, for them to win a game like this. And Stefan Castle also made his return. Good to see him on the, on the floor. That's the other big question here is just how good can they get once he is back integrated back into game speed and game shape and all of those kind of things. Yeah. I, I still don't feel like their ceiling is anywhere near as high as last season's, but obviously this is an awfully good basketball team once again. Very much so. The early game at Madison Square Garden, a 98-89 win for Brad Underwood's Illinois Fighting Illini. They beat Florida Atlantic, moving to 7-2, and two, does Dusty May's squad. Oh boy, it was a two-man show. In, in, in about as true of a sense as you possibly can. It was Terrence Shannon Jr., 33 points on 10 of 14, shooting 11 of 13 from the free throw line. And then Marcus Tomask, 33, 6, and 3, 15 of 21 from the field. Have a night, young man. That's the got to be the coolest arena in the world to have a night like that, right? Like, Oh, for sure. Right, for you're, sure. Sharing, you're sharing a floor that guys like Kobe, Carmelo, of course, Jeremy Lin are having, have had like all-time nights, and that's where you have an all-time night is Madison Square Garden. That's sick. Um, ultimately it was, I mean, those two guys scored 66. It's pretty easy to put up 98 when you have two guys that score 66 together. Uh, Florida Atlantic, just not quite able to keep up, especially on a night where Elijah Martin was fine. Not great. Struggle from the three point line only had 13 points. You, I feel like you kind of dismissed my Mark Stelmas comment the first time I made it this year. I don't know. Every time I, prob- I watch this I guy. I probably did. I probably did. Yeah. Every time I watch this guy, he seems to put on a show. Mm. I guess he's just not very good, but I don't watch. And he's playing just for me or something. Because I watch him and I go, this is an elite one-two tandem with him and Terrence Shannon. Now, did I see him going for 33? No. But he is another offensive weapon that when he gets going is unguardable. Mm-hmm. Right? Where he can just get the shot he wants. There are very few teams that have two of those kind of guys that can also handle the ball and be the the creative hub for the offense, right? It's not like these are bigs who need somebody to pass in the ball or something. You've you've watched him play Florida Atlantic and Marquette, right? Yes. yes. So he's got 51 combined points in those two games, 46 in the other six. There you go. 
So, so see, so he really might just be playing for you. Uh, yeah, but when he gets in, this is where the the ceiling for this team is incredibly high, and I think that's what I said coming out of the Marquette game is mm-hmm. if you found another guy that you can rely on that can give you 20, 25 points on any night with Coleman Hawkins, with the other players and what you know you have in Terrence Shannon, they're on to something. Mm-hmm. And the the FAU side of this, the one thing that should be acknowledged, uh, the Owls were the better team when Vlad Golden was on the floor. The problem was that Vlad Golden spent most of the game on the bench because he was in foul trouble. Mm-hmm. And they had guys come in and contribute, but the the plus minus numbers told the story and they kept showing them time and time again in the broadcast. And when flag golden got to come back in at the end, they got right back in the game and it was probably closer than the final score indicates, but he spent a little bit too much time on the bench. <laughs> Illinois duo was a little bit too good. And as deep as FAU is, you need somebody else. And I replied Golden had arguably the best game of his career. So he was that second guy. But I was just kind of sitting there thinking that if Elijah Martin isn't that other guy with John L. Davis, Illinois just has more offensive firepower. And that's basically what you saw at the end of the day. Uh, plus minuses, John L. Davis minus nine, Jalen Gaffney minus one, Elijah Martin minus 11. Um uh Brian Greenlee minus 14 and Vlad Golden plus eight. Yep. So, like you said, the plus minuses tell the story there. You know, I just here's here's the thing with me and FAU. Um, they deserve all the credit in the world. Dusty May deserves all the credit in the world. They were excellent last year. They go on the run that they went on last year, of course. We know all of these things. Um they still they they are not immune to losing to good teams and they weren't last year and they aren't this year and and they are they are very good they are deep they are experienced they are they have continuity they have all of it but it is you know the the task just gets more difficult when you play teams like Illinois like when you play teams like Texas A and I'm like you'll win some of them yeah. Because they are a good team and they'll lose they'll some lose of something. them as well. Yeah. Uh, I'll be very interested to see uh, how they play against Arizona, which is arguably the best team in the country. And um, but this is this is it, my point being actually a positive one is that the more opportunities you get, the the probably the worse your record's going to look. It's just not going to look very thirty-five and four very often when you. Uh, Occupy the pace, the, the the place in college basketball that FAU does this year. Yeah, and they have looked in all all the big games they've played so far like they absolutely belong. Like you said, you're not going to yeah. win all of them. And if they, you hadn't lost to Bryant, you'd probably like nobody right. would be. There wouldn't even be like any type of right. question about FAU. Not right. that I think there really is, but if you hadn't lost to Bryant, there really wouldn't be. Yeah, I don't feel, I felt strongly that they're a top 10 to 15 team. I still feel that way after this game. I have no concerns. They just do have some vulnerabilities like most teams. Mm-hmm. And they, <laughs> they came up against one of those teams that is a real wild card because you don't know quite what you're going to get. But when you get them on the wrong night, it's just kind of, too bad what? for you, and they will beat just about anybody. Well, you need to start telling me when you intend on watching Illinois yeah. closely so that I can <laughs> bet on Illinois. Awesome. Uh, in East Lansing tonight, 
Wisconsin 70, Michigan State 57. The Badgers moved to seven and two on the season. Michigan State falls to four and four, a preseason top five team. Now just 500 through their first eight games. AJ Store and Stephen Crowell, 40 points combined. Um, get a little bit from other members of the starting lineup. You get a nice game from John Blackwell off the bench, 10 points there. Um, Michigan State just it just isn't isn't that great right now, and uh, losing again to a quality opponent this time at home, Wisconsin seventy to fifty seven. Yeah, the freshmen were nowhere to be found. Tyson Walker really struggled at the beginning of the game. Wisconsin did not. Michigan State was playing from behind the rest of the way. They got it really close, and then credit to Wisconsin every time Michigan State kind of got it within two possessions, got it within a possession, got the crowd into it. They found a way to answer. And A.J. Hogard was better. That's something positive. But it's the same story with Michigan State. They're too reliant on Tyson Walker that he doesn't have the help he needs right now. They look like last year's team. Last year's team was just not what this year's team is expected to be. So until they solve that problem, they're going to look more like last year's team. Uh, and they look like last year's team and it's, and then on top of that, they are now one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the country, yeah. not the third the best, best yeah. three-point shooting teams in the country. Listen, you go up and down there, you go up and down their their schedule thus far, and they, uh, apart from James Madison, they've beaten Southern Indiana, Butler at home, Alcorn State, and Georgia Southern, and they've lost to three teams in Wisconsin, Arizona, and Duke, and maybe arguably James Madison if you want to go there but they've lost to the teams that they are not clearly better than. And that comes down to uh, the depth of not being there, the three-point shooting not being there, and being too reliant on on one guy. And when those three things are true, you're just going to have a tough time beating good teams. You just yeah. are. The, the more interesting part of this for me is the Wisconsin side. Obviously, you're coming off this win against Marquette. You just picked up a Big Ten win on the road. Mm-hmm. And all of that getting to the bigger point, which is this Wisconsin team has a multi-dimensional offense. They can beat you by shooting the three really well. They can mm-hmm. beat you by getting offensive rebounds. They have multiple guys who can be the go-to scorer on any given night. You saw it with Max Klesmet. Now you're seeing it with A.J. Storr. Stephen Crowell, like you said, had a good game. They don't... Chucky Hepburn did not have a particularly great game. It didn't matter. That's not mm-hmm. something I thought we were going to be able to say this season. And I just checked moments ago. They are 14th in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency. Earlier tonight, they were 13th. And and just and doing what they normally do defensively. Yes, it's right. not like we've we've had a major switch. They ended last year at 19th. They're 23rd right now. Right, right. They're still a very good defensive team. This is not just a a good offense. Right now, it is a great offense. Now, relative to kind of pace and those sort of things. But that, to me, is the story here. That's a formula to win on the road in the Big Ten. That's a formula to beat a team like Marquette. That's a formula to have success in the NCAA tournament. That they are not super reliant on one side of the floor or the other right now. They can, if they need to go score 80 points to beat you, they can do it. And if they need to hold you 57 like they did in this game, they can do that too. 
I think we're probably it, on Saturday. Like we're we're one win away f- with with Wisconsin from them putting together probably the best week that anybody will put together this yes. entire season, yep. and really starting to talk about them as that because we've been asking all all year who's the team after Purdue in the Big Ten. Illinois might looks like they're up to that task at least to a certain extent, and. On, air, on Saturday, Wisconsin goes to the McHale Center. Mm-hmm. And now, do I expect them to walk out of Arizona with a win? No. But if they do, in one seven-day stretch, we'll have beat Marquette, Michigan State, and Arizona. Nobody two else is going to do this. Uh, a, correct. Two of them on the road. That would be a crazy thing A crazy thing to do. So uh, very interesting uh, Wisconsin is early this season. I think people kind of, you know, you lose by 10 to Tennessee, you lose by 13 to Providence, and then you're just kind of in, you know, you, you smack Virginia, but they only scored 41 to Virginia. So like, what does that really mean? And um, I think that uh, Greg Gard's team is, is for real. At least that's the way it looks right now. And it's not like they overhauled the roster. I think they brought something back like 92% of their scoring. I can right? tell you. It, it's a. They are ninth in the country in minutes continuity. Yeah, yeah. There was no reason to believe this was all of a sudden going to become this really good offensive team, and it just has. All of these guys have come back and, and better, and you add AJ Store, and here you are. Here you are. Michigan State falls fifty-seven seventy to the Wisconsin Badgers. The Spartans play Baylor a week from now, 11 days from now. Um, and then we get into, and then we get into big 10 play pretty soon after that, they do play another big 10 game at Nebraska uh, five days from now, Josh, anything else? Yeah. Just bad night for the state of Michigan overall. Bad night for the state of Michigan, bad night for the big East. Yeah. The Big East looked bad in a lot of different places around the country tonight, um, except for UConn. Shouts to UConn, but uh, Butler Seton took Hall, care of business. Uh, Butler beat one of the worst teams in the country and would have lost to anybody else if they were playing anybody else. Um, but yes, they did happen to beat Buffalo seventy-two to fifty-nine. Um, I think that's it. I think it's all I have for you uh, for Tuesday, December fifth. It is eleven forty-five. PM. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your shows. Follow the under eight on Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. We'll be back on Wednesday night. We will see you then. Thanks so much for being here, and we will see you tomorrow.